Good afternoon, my friends, and welcome to another installment in our Psalm study. We have been looking through the Psalms here uh, this fall on my Facebook page, Bill Allen from West Irwin Church of Christ in the wonderful town of Tyler, Texas. I uh, hope that you're having a great week, and I hope and pray that you and all of your loved ones are well. I'm looking forward to this message today. It's in one of the most familiar statements uh, that we'll look at, and yet at the same time, it's in a um, surprising place. Because when we look at the statement that we're going to start with tonight, we uh, or today, we actually think of it somewhere else uh, rather than in the Psalms, but that's where it uh, originated. Um, over the last week or so, we've looked at uh, Psalms last week regarding God's Word. Uh, the psalmist speaks a lot about God's Word. That great statement, oh, how I love your law, uh, is an amazing statement for the psalmist and a wonderful uh, statement uh, throughout the 119th Psalm, expressing that great love and delight in God's Word. Uh, we looked at uh, those psalms, a few of those psalms, last week. On Tuesday, we looked at a couple of three, two or three penitential psalms, psalms that express penitence, that uh, are what you pray uh, when you are so caught up with the extent of your sinfulness and you can't uh, you can't hardly bear to look at uh, the Lord just as uh, the tax collector in the parable that Jesus uh, spoke about with the Pharisee who was very proud of himself and his obedience, and yet the tax collector uh, couldn't even bear to look up to heaven and uh, just uh, prayed for God to forgive him, a sinner. Well, sometimes we feel that way too, and and we're very much aware of our own sinfulness and we need to go to God and seek his forgiveness and then praise him when we realize that that forgiveness has come. And so a couple of the Psalms we looked at on Tuesday regard, uh, uh, remind us of the sinfulness of King David and of his broken heart and calling out to God in penitence in Psalm 51 and the way he praised God so, uh, so joyfully and gratefully in Psalm 32, realizing that in spite of his great sin, that God had forgiven him and he continued to offer his praises to the Lord. Um, and so today is kind of a, um, a follow-up to those, uh, a little bit of a natural progression perhaps, uh, where now we're talking not just about a, a person's own sinfulness, but more about a person's difficulty. And we'll be looking at uh, psalms coming up about um, psalmists who were struggling, uh, psalmists who were looking for God's deliverance and received it and offered him uh, grateful praise. The psalms we're looking at today are psalms of lament, uh, and uh, lament is defined as an expression of sorrow, a crying out in grief, and that is a um, uh, that's something that we don't do very much of, but we um, we recognize that we all go through difficulties and we all go through a lot of suffering. 
and a lot of hard uh, hard times. And so buckle up. We're going to look at a, a, a three of these great psalms, and uh, beginning with the Psalm 22. My cousin Gail is here. Glad you did make it. That's wonderful. Great to see you. Great to see some others that will be signing on. And um, hopefully uh, these psalms will help put some words in your uh, mind and heart and even in your mouth as you pray to God and express uh, sorrow uh, and lament over difficulties that you might be experiencing. And, uh, and even some anger is expressed in uh, uh, some of the words that we will find from the psalmist uh, today. Uh, that statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is one that we recognize quite quickly. It is one of the seven statements that Jesus made from the cross. It's found only in Matthew 27. Uh, and and yet it is, um, oh, well, it, I, it's found in Matthew 27. And I think that um, the psalmist expresses uh, that same feeling because what we don't realize as we uh, read Jesus' words in the Gospels is that he was quoting a song when he was hanging on the cross and his very life was uh, uh, leaving him. He thought of this psalm, of Psalm 22, and he was, he was actually lamenting just as the psalmist did. He was crying out in grief. Uh, he said those words, I think, because he felt those words. Uh, I think deep down, just as we do, uh, he knew that the Father uh, was uh, accomplishing his will. He had prayed in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. And if your will was for me to drink that cup that you would not spare me from as I have prayed, Jesus could have said, then may your will be done, and I will do that. But that didn't mean it was easy. And what Jesus experienced in his um, closest friends and followers, his apostles running away in fear, even after he had warned them, uh, after he had spent most of the night talking to them and pleading with them and even praying for them, um, when he saw them leave and he saw Judas, one of his own uh, disciples, his closest disciple, one of his closest disciples, one of the 12 apostles, uh, betraying him with a kiss and then turning him over to the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, and the horrible suffering and um, persecution and shame that they put him through, then sending him off to the Roman governor Pilate, um, and Pilate ultimately pronouncing guilt and then being um, persecuted more by the Roman soldiers having that crown of thorns stuck on his head, and then finally having to carry his own cross for a while until he collapsed and couldn't do it any longer, um, being nailed to that cross on um, Golgotha's Hill, uh, the place of the skull, Calvary, in uh, the Latin, uh, the Greek is Golgotha. And, um, and so on that cross, um, one of the things that Jesus screamed out, I believe, in pain and in agony, physical pain, emotional pain, but also spiritual pain, was this statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I do believe that Psalm 22 uh, is exactly what was on Jesus' mind as he, as he 
um, shouted out those words. Psalm 22 seems to apply to a psalmist long before Christ, but in amazing ways. It was messianic, which means it looks ahead to the Messiah and the suffering that he would endure, just like Isaiah 53 does. And it was certainly in Jesus' thoughts as he died on the cross. And it is meaningful, I think, to us as well, because sometimes we feel exactly like Jesus did, exactly like the psalmist did, that the Father has forsaken us. Why did Jesus say those words? I think, first of all, he said them because that's how he felt. And I think, uh, secondly, he said them because he had in mind this psalm, not just that statement, but this uh, psalm. The psalmist and Jesus expressed their suffering through lament. Um, and again, it, it is an expression of sorrow. It is an expression, a crying out in grief um, to, to uh, cry out in uh, sorrow and unhappiness, uh, to mourn out loud. Uh, to not just hold it in, uh, but to wail, uh, the dictionary says, uh, in sorrow. The psalmist was obviously suffering physically from some illness or disease and emotionally because of those around him who had antagonized him and mocked him in his distress. And so we're going to read Psalm 22 uh, because you'll recognize so many statements in it that apply to Jesus during the time of his intense suffering uh, through his betrayal and his arrest and persecution and ultimately his death on the cross. Jesus gives that same haunting, hurting cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think as we read Psalm 22, you'll realize why this psalm was on Jesus' mind uh, that day. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, verse 6, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You, put, you made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Verse, not, verse 11 says, verse 12, Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, verse 14, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Verse 16, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. Verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. 
Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Verse 22, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. The psalmist received his deliverance. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will lead and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Well, even just a cursory reading like that, uh, going verse by verse through it all, uh, reminds us of how closely connected this psalmist was in his suffering and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in his suffering that day on the cross and through all of the events that led up to it. Uh, it's an incredible, incredible passage. Um, and, and we get why Jesus would make such a cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you not delivered me? Jesus felt that same aloneness that the psalmist felt and that sometimes we feel as well. Yet our Lord must have also remembered the hope and deliverance this psalm acknowledges. As we look throughout this psalm, we can see the reason the Lord had it in his mind and the many ways the psalmist's suffering and lament and ultimate deliverance are fulfilled in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Beginning with that first statement and then going on, why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Um, the father didn't come to save his son. We are reminded of that great verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That, that's why he didn't come and deliver him that day because he loved us at that moment. In a sense, in a sense, he loved us more than he loved his own son. And he was willing to turn away from his son and not deliver him and say no to his prayer of faith in the garden. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. The answer from the father was no. And the reason was your sins and mine. Uh, the psalmist felt that as well, crying out to God day and night day after day, deliver me, and, and why haven't you delivered me? And because of that, the psalmist felt that God was far away. Yet, he says in verse 3, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In his mind now, he knows. <laughs> he knows in his mind that, that uh, God is on the throne, that the God of Israel is the one true and living God. He may not feel it in his heart because of everything he's going through, but he knows that that's the truth. And he thinks of all those past days, former days, when God did bring deliverance 
and so he cries out for that same kind of deliverance, and yet he knows that uh, he hasn't seen it yet. It's just not there. Verse 9, when you brought me out of the womb, you made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. And just as uh, we have seen other Psalms that say, I was sinful from my mother's womb, as David said in Psalm 51, we recognize that in this one, he says, I was faithful from my mother's womb. I trusted in you. I, uh, and we realize that what he's saying there, he's basically saying all my life, I have believed in you. All my life, I have trusted in you. Um, and yet here I am suffering without your deliverance. Um, verse 11 is such a sad and horrible cry. Do not be far from me for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Um, what a horrible, horrible feeling. Uh, many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. He calls them bulls. He calls them roaring lions. The psalmist had his enemies also. And he was being tormented and punished and persecuted just like uh, Jesus would be, just like his disciples would be. Um, and, and he shares some of the same characteristics. Perhaps he was uh, starving to death. He mentions that he had not, his tongue was sticking to the roof of his mouth. Uh, he, he talks about just drying up. You can see his bones, he says. Um, and, and all of those things as he is surrounded, verse 16, by villains, by dogs. Uh, all of these things that the psalmist says he's going through made it very difficult um, to experience such a thing. Um, and he cries out for rescue in verse 21. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And then he says, starting in verse 22, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly i will praise you the psalmist experiences that deliverance and he promises he promises that number one he'll he'll come through on the vows he made uh he promised god some things if you'll just deliver me i'll do this and he says i'm going to do those things because you have come through for me god and one of those things is praising him before others telling his story of how god had delivered him from his suffering and calling on everyone, as we'll see when we end the study of this particular psalm today, um, calling on everyone to praise, to praise God. But before we leave this psalm and look at a couple of others very quickly, I want us to be reminded of the things from this psalm that are especially connected with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. In Psalm 22, verse 6, he says, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. And we think of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 53 that the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior, would be despised and afflicted and rejected by everyone. And we see that fulfilled in Matthew 27. When everyone leaves him, uh, he is despised by everyone. He is forsaken by everyone. Peter himself in Acts chapter 3 speaks of that same thing as he preaches to those in the first century uh, and defends himself, uh, Peter and John, and calls on everyone to worship the one who had brought that man back to health in Acts 3 and not, um, and not Peter himself. Verse 7, all who see me mock me, just as Jesus was mocked by those who insulted him. The psalmist says the same thing. Uh, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Verse 8, he trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. 
And we're so reminded of uh, those verses in Matthew 27 and in other places where the religious leaders around Jesus did exactly the same thing. They made fun of him. They mocked him. Hey, Mr. Big Shot, where's your father now? You said he was your father. You said he would save you. You said he would deliver you. Why don't later on, he would, they would say, why don't you come down from that cross and we'll believe you? Mocking. The psalmist felt that same way. The ones who were intimidating and punishing him and, and threatening him uh, did the same thing and mocked him because his God that he trusted in had not delivered him. Again, verse 11, trouble is near and there is no one to help. And certainly that was the case with Jesus when he was arrested. Everyone left him. There was no one there left to help him. Uh, verse 15, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Remember one of the other statements that Jesus made from the cross? I thirst. The psalmist felt that same thirst. And again, that connection between Jesus and the psalmist. Uh, verse 14, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. You could see his bones, the psalmist says, just as you could with Jesus in crucifixion. Verse 16, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. And then verse 17, all my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. Uh, they pierce my hands and my feet. The psalmist had no idea. Uh, perhaps that that would be applied to the Messiah, to Jesus of Nazareth. I don't know what was going on in the psalmist's life specifically. He had some kind of physical suffering, perhaps a bad illness or disease that everyone made fun of him for. Perhaps the psalmist was experiencing uh, the pain and, and torture in a sense, uh, something like what Jesus experienced, that there were some who were persecuting him so strongly that they were physically abusing him. Um, we don't know exactly, but we do know that these verses apply specifically to Jesus on the cross. Uh, people stare and gloat over me just as they did when Jesus was crucified. Luke tells us in Luke 23, uh, verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And we remember in John 19, John records that they divided, they tore, tore up his clothes and and split them up and then they came to that a nice little garment that was just too too perfect uh and and didn't have any good places to rip and so they said let's 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 uh cast lots for this one and that's exactly what the psalmist said would happen uh verse 22 i will declare your name to my people in the assembly i will praise you and later on in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2, the, Hebrew, the writer of the book of Hebrews says that's exactly what Jesus did. Exactly what Jesus did. And then, of course, verse 1 that we read in Matthew 27, but also in Mark 15. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You can see now why Jesus would make that statement, because he felt that way. But you can also see the connection that he felt with the psalmist. And in this psalm, the 22nd psalm, we recognize that it's not just the suffering, but that it's also the deliverance. And I think Jesus thought of that as well. He felt the forsakenness. He felt the abandonment of his father. But I think he also remembered all of that psalm and how the psalmist was delivered and how the psalmist would rise from his difficulties and his pain um, and be able to praise God 
who delivered him and tell others to do the same. What is the result of God's deliverance? First of all, in verses 22 and 25, he will tell others what God has done for him. Secondly, he will encourage other sufferers to join him in praising God. Again, reading these verses, verses uh, 22 and 23, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. Verse 24, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. So interesting and, and amazing to hear that statement uh, in verse 24 compared to the one in verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And ultimately the psalmist is delivered. And when he is, he praises God because God did not abandon him forever, did not forsake him forever, but brought him ultimate deliverance. Um, verse 26, the poor will lead and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. And so the, this great psalm ends with the psalmist saying, all the earth will worship the Lord as God. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. And then the next verses finish out the psalm and as the psalmist recognizes God's greatness that he is the one true and living God and that all are called upon to remember him, even future generations not yet born will praise this God who is the one true God, who is the deliverer, who is the one who saved the psalmist from all of his sufferings. Psalm 22 offers a prayer of lament that acknowledges the difficulties we face. I love that about scripture, and we're gonna see that again, especially in, 100, in Psalm 137 that we'll close with in our study today in just a few moments. But the Psalms and, and the rest of Scripture acknowledge the difficulties we face. It doesn't, it doesn't, there's nowhere that you can find, oh, if you'll just trust in the Lord, everything will go well for you. If you'll just trust in the Lord, you'll never have to suffer. Well, that's just not true. Nowhere does it claim that. In fact, you could make a case, and Jesus himself says, look, if you're going to be my disciple, at times it's going to go worse for you, not better. You're going to feel that physical and emotional uh, suffering that comes because I have experienced that as well. And so you will too. Well, the psalmist recognized that and he acknowledges that. He doesn't pretend that he wasn't hurting. He doesn't pretend or hide the fact that he felt abandoned by God. And Jesus from the cross acknowledges that same feeling of abandonment. But there's also the rest of this psalm that speaks of God's deliverance, of God's answering the psalmist prayer. This psalm also assures the people of God that the Lord is present no matter how difficult our suffering, no matter how long the Lord waits to bring about that deliverance. He was there for the psalmist. He was there for the Savior, and God is there for us and for you. And whatever you're experiencing, God is there for you as well. Psalm 22, what a great, great statement. Uh, now let's turn back a few chapters to Psalm 13. These next two are shorter psalms and we won't spend as much time with them. But they're also laments. They lament. They express that sorrow and uh, uh, difficulty and hurt uh, and even anger that we experience at times too. And it's okay to share that with God. 
God is big enough to handle it. I might say it again later in Psalm 137, but one of the things about Job is that he was honest about his condition. He was honest about the things that he saw that didn't make sense with what he believed about God, and so he expressed it. And, and God blessed him for that honesty. Job obviously felt like he went further than he should have because he repents at the end. But also at the end, God calls on his three friends to go to Job for prayers because Job is the one that acknowledged the difficulty. Uh, there's no sense in not acknowledging our difficulties, acknowledging our feelings. God already knows them, and, and he's okay with us sharing them with him. And that's one of the great, great lessons we learn from the Psalms. And Psalm 13, there is a haunting question that is asked, the question, how long? How long? Psalm 13, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Will, how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt that way? I know I have, and I know you have too, when there just doesn't seem to be any relief in sight. And you pray, how long, Lord? How long before you deliver me? I, I, I know that you will. I believe that you will. Will you? How long will you make me suffer like this? How long will you let the bad guys win? The psalmist is asking. I'm one of the good guys, and yet I'm suffering and hurting, and the bad guys just continue to prosper and do well. The psalmist expresses that. Verse 3, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. The psalmist says, look, God, you don't want the bad guys to win, do you? You don't want my enemies to look over my dead body and say, see there, we told you your God wouldn't deliver you. I know you don't want that, the psalmist says, but even before that salvation comes, even before that deliverance happens, in Psalm 13, verses 5 and 6, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. The psalmist remembers that the Lord has been there for him and for others. And so he praises God in the midst of his suffering. Perhaps he's been delivered and now this is the epilogue. Perhaps not. Perhaps the psalmist is just speaking out in faith that one way or another, God will deliver him. And that's the same is true for us. One way or another, God will deliver you. Whatever you're going through, he will deliver you. He will, he will not let the bad guys win. And ultimately, that's what the gospel stands for. That crucifixion of Jesus it looked like the bad guys won, and they did that day, but they didn't after that. And that tomb became empty when Jesus was raised from the dead, and ultimate victory is his, but ultimate victory is also ours. But that's ultimate victory. It doesn't mean we'll experience that victory today. It doesn't mean our suffering will be relieved today. It doesn't mean we'll be vindicated before our enemies today. But like the psalmist, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And finally, let's look today at Psalm 137. 
Psalm 137. This is a great, great psalm, and it's also a great example of how you let the content of the psalm help you understand what's going on. Clearly, in this psalm, it's a psalm of exile. It's a psalm that a psalmist wrote after the Israelites had been taken into Babylonian captivity, because that's the setting of the psalm, and the psalmist is so honest, so much honesty and heartfelt uh, sorrow and grief and anger in this lament. Um, Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And we can identify with that, right? Sing us, you know, uh, one of your heaven songs. You know, how when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Sing that one. Sing the one about sing the wondrous love of Jesus when we all get to heaven. Sing that one. But here they're in exile. They're not in Jerusalem. They're not even in Judea. They're in Babylon. They're in a place where people speak a different language. They worship other gods that aren't gods at all. And they have been brought there uh, as prisoners, as exiles. And now they're there in the midst of this foreign land, away from their homeland. They've seen their rulers uh, killed before them. They have seen the marvelous temple of King Solomon that he had built uh, just burned to the ground. Not one stone left on another. After all of that, after all of that, all that David had planned, all that Solomon had done, all the people had given, and then for hundreds of years after that, the worship of God at that temple, and then finally in 586 BC, the Babylonians break through the wall, they they tear down the gate, uh, they destroy the walls, and they come to the temple and they bring out the the king from his palace, and they kill him and and his sons, um, and they, they destroy the palace, they destroy the great temple that Solomon had built. And now they've taken these captives, these Jews, to Babylon. And now they're in Babylon, and their Babylonian captors are all around them, and they're saying, hey, come on, let's let's sing one of those great happy peppy heaven songs. And the psalmist says, I can't do it. I can't do it. The psalm continues in Psalm 137, verse 4. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. The psalmist says, I I can't. I can't sing those songs because I, I can't forget my homeland. Imagine if somebody had come and destroyed the great landmarks of our country and had taken uh, our people captive to a foreign land and had destroyed our elected officials and, and other leaders right before our eyes and, and made them suffer and tortured them and, and then killed them and then taken us all to a foreign land and said, hey, sing one of those happy peppy heaven songs you love so much. We would feel the same way the psalmist feels here. I can't do it. Help me never to forget my homeland, we would say. Uh, cut off my right hand, pull, tear out my right eye if, if I forget what it was like in my home. That's how the psalmist felt. But he not only felt sadness, 
he felt great anger. And God knew the anger that he felt, and so the psalmist expressed it. In Psalm 137, beginning in verse 7, Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell, some of their neighbors, the descendants of Esau. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. And we think, how could anyone wish such a thing on even their enemies? And didn't Jesus say to love your enemies and pray for your enemies? And that's exactly right. But this is not one of those Jesus moments. This is one of those human moments. This is one of those Job moments. This is one of those moments when the psalmist is overcome with hurt and sorrow and sadness and grief and anger. And so he cries out in anger, and that's called lament. There are several what we call imprecatory psalms, like this one ends with, where the psalmist expresses the way we feel sometimes about those who have taken advantage of us, those who have hurt us, the enemies who have continued to prosper and, and have caused us to suffer. And that's what the psalmist expresses here. And, of course, we would never want something like that to happen to anybody. But we feel that way sometimes. Imagine how you would feel if you had watched our president, our governors, our leaders tortured and killed, their children killed in front of them, and then they themselves, uh, their eyes torn out and ultimately killed themselves. Imagine if, if that were us, how sorrowful we would feel and how angry we would feel. Well, that's how the psalmist feels here. And he expresses that anger, he expresses that grief, he expresses that sorrow, he expresses that hurt. That's called lament. And we would be lying if we told people, oh yeah, if you'll just trust in God and believe in God, you'll never suffer, you'll never hurt, things will always make sense. Your prayers will always be answered with yes. It's just not true. We know it's not true from Jesus' prayer in the garden and how not many hours after that, prayer offered in the garden he prayed from psalm 22 my god my god why have you forsaken me the truth is we feel forsaken sometimes we feel abandoned by god we feel angry that our enemies have succeeded and that we have uh, had to suffer and and so we express that we express that sorrow and the psalmist in psalm 137 expresses that in such a wonderful way. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion, when we remembered the better days, when we remembered the time before our suffering. The psalmist experienced that. God didn't spare them from that, but he accomplished his will through it. Ultimately, 70 years after, just as Jeremiah prophesied, that remnant of the Jews were returned. Cyrus, King Cyrus the Persian took over, conquered the Babylonians and decided he would do it differently than the Assyrians and the Babylonians had done. Rather than taking all the people away from their homeland, he would send them back because he believed that if I'm kind to these people, if I send them back, if I let them go back to their homes and rebuild their cities, then they will follow me and they will serve me and they will not rebel. And that's what happened. And so great men like Zerubbabel help rebuild 
the temple. Great men like Nehemiah help rebuild the walls. Great men like Ezra the priest help rebuild the worship of God. Um, the psalmist, however, he wasn't there yet. He was still in Babylon. He was still suffering. He still had those visions in his mind of the suffering that his people had been put through. And so he prays to God, God, don't let me ever forget my homeland. And God, please don't ever forget what my enemies have done to me. And in the sense, what the psalmist did there is he left it up to God. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Jesus was able to, main, to, to get through this suffering. Why? Because he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. We can do the same. We can do the same. You know, we've been talking about Psalms of Lament today. And as you know, there's a whole book called Lamentations. It's written by Jeremiah at the time when the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem and took so many of the people away into Babylon, but not Jeremiah. He was forced by some of his enemies there uh, to go to Egypt ultimately. Uh, but Jeremiah uh, is, is one who writes these laments. And it's such a incredible statement in Lamentations. It's not very many chapters, but boy, they're so difficult to read because he cries out about the hurt that he sees everywhere and the pain and the sorrow and the suffering and the poverty. And it's just horrible, horrible to read. And yet in the midst of that, in the midst of that lament in Lamentations chapter three are the words that inspired a couple of our great songs that we still sing today. Uh, great is thy faithfulness is one of them. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And that great song, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. We read the words to those songs and we think, oh boy, that guy must have been having a great day when he wrote those words. Both of those great songs, both of those great uh, hymns come out of the middle of Lamentations in chapter 3 because in the midst of that suffering that we just read about in Psalm 137, Jeremiah knows that the mercies of the Lord are still present, that they are new every morning, that God truly is faithful. Two things then that Psalms of Lament have in common. Number one, honest expressions of suffering and sadness. And number two, faithful praise of the God who one day will bring victory. If you're feeling forsaken and abandoned today, remember the Lord Jesus Christ knows exactly how you feel because he felt it. If you feel like your enemies are overcoming you, remember the Lord Jesus Christ felt the same way and experienced it, as did some of the psalmists. But remember also that the Lord is faithful. Great is his faithfulness and his mercies are new every morning and he will help you through. May God bless you.